0: we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're on week three of our Vision and Values series. We have fixed our eyes on God. We've looked at the Son and the Father and the Spirit. We're about to talk about grace and community and the kingdom and love. We ask the question today, how is it possible for us to have a relationship with the creator of the universe? Our Father God, who is worthy of our worship and our adoration and our total affection, who is completely holy and separate from us and wants this relationship and seeks this relationship. Well, how is that possible? And the short answer, in fact the only answer, in fact the right answer, is by the grace of God. Paul's letters in the New Testament are full of the grace of God and in these 10 verses in Ephesians chapter 2, we find probably his most succinct description of grace. And so today we are going to unpack grace by asking and hopefully answering six questions. What is grace? Who needs grace? Why do we need grace? How does grace, God apply grace to us? When do we need grace? And what are the results Of grace. Who are we? We're a people of grace. We are a grace-filled people. What do we do? We show grace to others. That's who we are. That's why we're here. But what is grace? It's a very religious word, very Christian word, isn't it? We band it around. We sing probably the greatest hymn of all time. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. What does it mean? Well. In its most simple form, it means unmerited favour. We derive words like gratis from the word grace, which is a free gift. Some have used the acronym God's riches at Christ's expense. It's neat and true. In the Old Testament, the word grace derives from the words like hesed, often translated Favor, Grace is the favour of God. We mentioned last week when talking about the Holy Spirit that Moses understood that it was the very presence of God that made the people of God unique. And when, God, when Moses asked God for his presence, what he asked God is for his favour, for his grace. So we read in Exodus, If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways. If I continue to find favour with you, remember this nation is your people. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? Those words, pleased and favour, that's the root of the word grace. In God's grace, Moses is saying, in your grace, Lord, come with us, be with us. When we talk of someone being gracious towards us, we mean they are treating us in a way that if we're honest, we don't deserve. New Testament uses the word grace 122 times and it always carries this emphasis of unearned blessing and Favor. Even when we talk about the work of the Spirit in our gatherings through the spiritual gifts, we are actually translating the word charismata or gifts of grace. That means that a foundational level, a charismatic church, is a church that constantly recognizes its foundation in grace, in the unmerited favor of God. That means every church is charismatic. Charismatic is not about worship style, it's about are we dependent on grace? Are we dependent on charis, the Greek word for grace? So grace is unmerited favor, undeserved blessing unlooked for gift so who needs it we all do (laughs) paul says as for you you are dead in your transgression and sin but god who is rich in mercy applied his grace to us it's vital if we're to understand who we are and what we're called to do that we understand that we were all dead in our sin. And it's not that some of us were better... Than others. It's not that, well, some needed a full salvation, but others, you know, most of them was okay, they just needed a tweak. No, we were dead in our sin. Paul here is writing to a racially diverse church, Jew and Gentile. And Paul's challenge was that the Jewish members could kind of have that view of grace, that view of, well, yeah, these Gentiles, they needed to be brought all the way in. We had the law and the prophets, we just needed a little bit of a tweak. Paul says no you were all dead in your sin all of us also lived in that way and before we start judging those early Jewish believers let's look at our own hearts gosh we can see feel that we're better than others sometimes we can look at some sin feel that's really bad my sin wasn't that bad no we all need grace and we need it because of sin Who needs grace? All of us. Why do we need grace? Because of our sin, because of our brokenness. Of course, it's not popular to talk about sin, but it's biblical. It actually wasn't popular to talk about sin in the first century either. It's never been popular to say to people, You're a sinner, you're broken. You're dead in your sin. It's not a great opening gambit when you meet somebody for the first time. I wouldn't advise it, but it is biblical. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Paul says in Romans 3:23. Though Jesus is clear he has not come into the world to judge the world, leading some to think he's unconcerned with sin. In the same sentence Jesus declares. And he's come to save the world. He says this, "I have come into the world as light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world." John 12: 46 and 47. What is he saving us from if there's no sin? He's saving us from our brokenness. He's saving us from our imperfection. He's saving us from the damage we do to ourselves and the damage we do to our world. As we have seen, God creates us for relationship with him. The Father longs for relationship with his people. What gets in the way of that relationship is our sin, my sin. Our disobedience, our selfishness, our self-righteousness, our imperfection. That's the reality. In the beginning, God let Adam and Eve know disobedience, walking away from God's plan, will lead to death. They disobey God in the garden and we have been disobeying God ever since. When we look at the world... We cannot sidestep the selfishness of humanity as it impacted the state of the planet, the world's poor, and the injustice all around us. Don't think we're we're sinners. Just look at the world we live in. When we look at the scripture, it is clear in its description and in its diagnosis. And most clearly, as ever, when we look at Jesus, if there is no sin in my heart, I don't need the cross. But Jesus went to the cross. If it was just a matter of needing a bit more wisdom, then all we need is the teaching of Jesus, the lifestyle of Jesus, the guidance of Jesus. But Jesus goes to the cross because we need a saviour. We are dead in our sin. We need total resurrection. We need an act of total obedience to deal with our disobedience. Scripture is clear. Who needs grace? We all do. Why do we need it? Because we are all lost in our sin. We're all dead in our sin. Through Christ, the Father seeks us and through his death and resurrection, he restores, reconciles, saves, resurrects us. That's why we have baptism in the way that we do because we die with christ as we go into the water and we are raised with christ as we come out which tells us how we receive grace grace is god's unmerited favor who needs it we all do why do we need it because of sin how do we receive it well the answer is always jesus isn't it through jesus John 1, again, out of his fullness, Christ's fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. The Father sends the Son and gives him the name that is above every name. The Son invites us to follow him and walks to the cross and through the cross for us. The Holy Spirit leads us in truth and points us back to Jesus. This is the Trinitarian operation of grace through Christ. This is what we read right at the start. But because of his great f- love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his Grace expressed to us in kindness through Christ Jesus, for it's by grace you've been saved. It's worth reading again, isn't it? It's worth reading again and again. We are saved by grace. Who are we? We are people of grace, not of works, not of religious duty, not of religious activity, not even a people of religious activity and spiritual disciplines, though they are vital for us understanding grace. They are not the means of grace. We receive grace by faith. So when do we need grace? All the time. All the time. At every step of our relationship with God, in our discipleship, in our following, in our apprenticeship, we begin by grace and we continue with grace. We have been saved by grace, we are transformed by grace. Grace is ministered to us by the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. Paul tells the Galatians, you foolish Galatians, having started with the Spirit, why are you trying to make yourself holy in works? Although he talks about the Spirit, he's talking about the Spirit ministering the grace of God. It is the Holy Spirit who is transforming us from one degree of glory into another. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their heart. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When do we need grace? Well, we are saved by grace. Our identity is transformed by grace. By grace we are seated with Christ in heavenly places but we're also being sanctified by grace, transformed day by day into the likeness of Christ. This is the mystery of the gospel that we are once justified. We're in, we are like Jesus, but we're also being transformed. And it's grace all the way. We don't need grace at the beginning and then make it on our own. No, we need grace after grace after grace, which is why the New Testament promises us there is grace upon grace upon grace. God's faithfulness, mercy and grace are new every morning. So what are the results of grace? What's the so what Well, we really want you to dig into this in your devotions this week. Well, let's unpack some of it now. Our salvation is secure because of the foundation of grace. Let's say that up front. If I'm saved by works, then I keep myself saved by works. If my relationship with God has its foundation in my faithfulness, if my security is in my ability to stay faithful and honouring and holy, I'm in trouble. I mean, forget being saved today and not saved tomorrow. I'm, I'm oscillating hour by hour depending on what's going on in my heart. But if my relationship with God has at its foundation grace, his character, his faithfulness, his gift of faith, I am secure. The first so what of grace is security in my identity, in my salvation. If I'm saved by grace, then I'm saved. Praise God. That doesn't make sin excusable, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But it means that I'm not going to step outside of the salvation, outside of my relationship, because my relationship is not based on me. It's based on God. Saved by grace secure oh I can breathe yeah I can read my Bible and pray and worship and serve and they're great things but if I have a week where I forget to do that as well as I did it last week well it's not my salvation that's in doubt because I'm saved by grace the result of grace is security but the result of grace is also holiness Paul famously says in Romans 6, it's about grace. Should we sin more so that grace abounds? By no means, he says. Paul writes to Titus in Titus 2 that it is the grace of God that draws us into holiness and gives us power to say no to sin to say no to selfishness, to say no to disobedience, to say no to gossip and cynicism and lack of faith and greed and lust. I can say no to those things because of grace. How does grace help me do that? Well, we go back to the beginning. I'm saved by grace. I'm secure in grace. My identity is established in grace. And therefore, I don't step out of grace into sin my identity and my security in God it's the grace at work in my life which gives me the power and strength to say no to sin to live in the good of my holiness I have been set apart I have been made holy I am a saint by the work of Christ by God's grace and therefore I can reside there I can abide there, I don't step out of that place because of the grace of God in my life but it's also about having grace for ourselves when we do trip up. As we'll see in future weeks when we talk about community and, and love, we need those things because we get it wrong. Grace is what protects us from guilt. When we do make a mistake, grace says failure is okay. shouldn't be pursued. We shouldn't set out to fail, but sometimes we will. And when we do, we need to allow ourselves grace. The devil will try and take us into guilt, which just disempowers us. But grace allows us to apply again the forgiveness of God to ourselves and move on. So it is grace that has saved us. It's grace that enables us to say no to sin. When we do get tripped out by by those residue bits of our sinful nature, it's grace that protects us from guilt and encourages us to go again. And it is grace that enables us to truly honour others. You see, grace... And allows us to be vulnerable. Grace allows us to be authentic. Let's rewind a little bit. Okay, so grace has saved me. Grace empowers me to say no to sin, but occasionally, because I'm still a work in progress, I make a mistake. Now, grace for myself in that moment should steer me away from guilt. That's what grace does. And in that moment, one of the things that grace will do if we are a grace-filled community is it will lean me into that community. It will enable me to go to a friend understanding that they are full of grace for me and therefore I can be honest about my mistake. That's so important because if we can allow grace to enable us to be honest with others about the small mistakes, we won't get to the big mistakes. We won't get to the mistakes, the sins, the imperfections that totally wreck lives and families and churches and communities. Why do we ever get there? I think we get there because we haven't got enough grace for one another. We think we're not allowed to fail. We think that Christians just get it right all the time we don't and if we apply grace what that enables us to do is be honest with one another be vulnerable with one another be humble with one another knowing that we're not going to get judged we're going to get restored that doesn't mean that the things we do don't matter we need accountability and discipline there are some things we're doing there are some things you're doing right now and do you know what you need to stop Because they're harming you or they're harming someone else. Grace is, as we've seen, not an excuse to go on sinning in the hope that God will forgive you. No, sometimes we need to stop. We need to be holy. But when we get it wrong, a community shaped by grace, a community that is full of grace and seasoned with salt as Paul tells us in Colossians that grace filled community enables us to be authentic to be honest to be open to be truly accountable all those little things that God wants to sort out in our lives and that sort of community is transformational Because if we can build that together, if we can know our identity is in God, in salvation, because we're saved by grace, if we know that grace empowers us to say no to sin, if we know that grace enables us to be honest about the times when we do trip up, which leads to authenticity and accountability and honesty and real relationship, if we can be that, then also we become incredibly welcoming. We speak to a world that is incredibly judgmental. It's amazing, isn't it, that in a world where we say all truth is relative, there's more judgment of other people's truth than ever before. Jesus said, I've not come into the world to judge the world. Surely, therefore, the body of Christ, the church, should be the least judgmental community and family there is. And we are, and we can be if we grab hold of grace. Because if we understand grace for ourselves, if we understand grace for one another within the church, then suddenly we are released to be truly full of grace for those around us. We see this in Jesus. Jesus spent time with the people no one else spent time with. The woman at the well, a woman tainted by her sexual sin. Zacchaeus, a man tainted by his sin to do with money and finance and injustice. Peter, a man tainted by the sin of his arrogance and his pride. Jesus grabs hold of these people. Jesus sits and talks with the woman at the well. Jesus goes for tea at Zacchaeus' house. Jesus reinstates Peter even though he denied him. Why? Because Jesus was full of grace. Because Jesus wanted to say in grace, you can be with me before you know how to behave perfectly. There is stuff in your life that isn't right. Jesus never denies that. Jesus says to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Jesus calls out Zacchaeus, calls out the woman, calls out Peter. Jesus does not leave sin unchallenged. But he challenges it when he's sitting at the table having dinner, when he's sitting at the well having a drink, when he's building a nation. Why? Because of grace. Because of the grace of God. We are a grace-filled people. We are called to show grace to one another, to step into the good of grace in our authentic relationships, to deal with sin early because we know we can be honest without being judged because we're full of grace. And we can then show grace to those around us. We can say to people, to coin a phrase, you can belong before you believe and before you know how to behave for too long we've wanted people to behave and then believe and then they can belong Jesus comes to us and says come and belong come and be with me through that belonging you'll discover what you truly believe, what God believes about you and what you can believe about God. And do you know what happens then? Behaviour is transformed because grace enables us to say no to sin. Zacchaeus gives his money away. The woman at the well becomes an evangelist and sees her whole village village saved. Peter goes to the cross on behalf of his saviour because of the grace of God. It's all about grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Let's pray. Father God, We thank you for your grace. Keep us standing in it, Lord. Enable us by your Spirit to show grace to those around us as we seek your face and seek your kingdom. Amen.